welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. All right, well, welcome. Great to have you here with us tonight. I certainly feel privileged to be able to share with you this evening. And as Tony mentioned, we are continuing our series called The Deadly Seven. Um, it's, not a, it's not a list that you will find um, in the Bible per se. You don't find a nice little neat chapter and verse for um, the deadly seven, so to speak. It's actually a list of, of vices or sins that have come to us through history. Um, 590, a, a pope called Gregory sort of finalised this list and, and sort of brought into the, the, uh, the way that it comes to us today. And these, these vices, these sins, are recognized as things that inspire other sins. Okay? So these are kind of like root causes in our lives. If we, if we don't get a check on these things, they flow out into other things. For example, you know, things like murder and, and rape, which we, we recognize that, the, that these things cause devastation, that these things are obviously wrong. But these things aren't in the list called the deadly seven. But things like lust... And things like greed and things like anger are, and obviously those are the things that outwork themselves in things like murder and rape and so many other things. Okay, so last week I started the series, um, I guess with a bit of a a talk about the fact that, you know, so often, sadly, the church and God, as a result, is perceived as a big no God. The church is no this, no that, no to fun, no to anything that anyone would actually want to do, etc., etc. It just seems to be that that's the case. But then we went back to Genesis and we had a look at the, the, God, the world that God created and we realised that God is not a, just a miserable killjoy out to spoil people's fun, but he's actually, he's actually a lavish, generous God who loves us passionately and gave us not just what we needed for life, but so many things for our enjoyment. And we looked at the fact that he put us together with all sorts of senses. Uh, we looked at, Tom mentioned this morning, you know, all the things that God said yes to. You know, God said yes to climbing trees. God said yes to, to playing with the animals. God said yes to swimming. God said yes to climbing mountains. God said yes just to enjoying and, and eating whatever they liked, apart from one particular piece of fruit. He said yes to the pleasure of sex. He said yes to so many things. But he did say no to one thing. And we looked at the fact that, yes, God has some no's. But to get the, understand what those no's are about, we need to look at the bigger picture. Okay, so where God has a no, he's not just trying to ruin our fun. He's actually trying to promote life for us. And so this series is about, in a sense, I guess we, we, the Deadly Seven says that this is a series about no. But actually, we want to turn the knot's head a bit. Yes, we're going to look at the no of the Deadly Seven sins. But beyond that, we're going to look at the God's yes. What is the, the counter spirit of that? What is it God's actually calling us to do? Because so many Christians are defined by what they don't do. And I think I said last week, you know, like, so, some, so Christians don't swear for the most part, or at least they pretend they don't. <laughs> but, you know, what good does that do? I mean, so you don't swear. That's great. But it doesn't do anything. Jesus didn't save the world by coming and not swearing. He didn't come by not boasting. or not, you know, He didn't do anything. It was, the, it was the presence of good that brought the difference into this world. And so as Christians, again, we don't want to be defined by what we don't do. Because by and large, we can do a whole bunch of stuff and be useless, or not do a whole bunch of stuff and be useless. But God is calling us to do that which is good, that which is proactive, that which brings life. Okay, and so today, we're continuing our series. And it is part four, and we are looking at tonight, God's know of pride. Pride. Now, pride to me, it's, it's kind of like the respectable sin. You know, a lot of Christians, seriously, this, a lot of, you know, a lot of, we struggle with pride 
But often we don't recognise it for what it is. So what I want to try and do today is, is, is expose this thing that's so ugly and so destructive, but which many of us are harbouring, not realising it. And we're actually, we're actually patting ourselves on the back and justifying some of our behaviour, which actually stems from the, the deadly seven, uh, or one of the deadly sevens called pride. And so I just want to unpack it a little bit tonight, and hopefully by the end of this time together, we're going to have a bit of a revelation that, oh, okay, I've got some adjustments to make. If you don't, that's awesome. That probably just means you do need to make adjustments because you're pretty proud of what you've... No, anyway. <clears throat> um. <laughs> All right, so what is pride? What is it that God is actually saying no to? Well, if you look up the meaning of pride in the dictionary, there's a couple of meanings for pride. The first one is a feeling of elation or satisfaction at achievements that do one credit. Okay, so there's a positive sense of pride. Um, in fact, we see that in the Bible itself. If we read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 24, it says this, Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so the churches can see it. So this is Paul. He's an apostle. He's, he's leading the church, or certainly a large part of the church. And you know, he's, he's talking about the fact there's some pride in his life. But it's not a bad thing from what he's saying. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Each one should test his own actions then. Uh, so then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to one another. So there is a pride that's not comparative, but ultimately there's a pride that's a healthy appreciation for excellence. In this church, you know, one of the things that we value is, is, is excellence. Okay, so that, <clears throat> it is good and right to feel good about things that are good and right, and things that are done well, and so on and so forth. But then there's another aspect of pride, and it's this one. It's a high or overbearing opinion of one's worth or importance. I guess we could summarize it as arrogance. And this is what we're talking about tonight. This is the sin of pride. Now the problem with this arrogant type of pride, pride is several fold. The first thing is that pride is essentially an elevation of self. You're lifting yourself up. You're putting yourself, I guess, in the place where you're saying, I don't really need others, or I'm better than others. Now, worst case scenario for people is when it, it outworks itself in what is called atheism. In other words, we, we refuse to acknowledge that we are created beings and we put ourselves on a par with God or even above God and we deny God. So that's one of the ways that this arrogance can work itself out is atheism is a stance of arrogance, essentially. It's a prideful stance. But we're Christians and I've already spoken about the fact that some of us can have the sin of pride in our lives and, and yet we believe in God. Well, the way it works itself out amongst religious people is in self-righteousness. In other words, we, we think that we're quite all right, thank you very much. We're doing, we, you know, we acknowledge um, intellectually, mentally, we give assent to the fact that Jesus died for our sins. But the trouble is when you become a Christian, for, you know, been a Christian for a little while, all things being equal, your life gets a little bit better, you get a bit of a handle on your swearing and you know, your smoking and a few other things, and you begin to think, well, I'm not too bad. And we begin to slip into this error, this, this arrogance of self-righteousness. And we begin to think ourselves better than others. Okay, And that's the problem with this position of, of elevating ourselves. It's always at the expense of others. We belittle others. I guess we've talked about belittling God already. But we belittle other people. They become less in our eyes. And ultimately, when people become less in our eyes, it leads to their abuse. And I mean, we can see that in a whole bunch of ways where people are abused in our society. Sometimes it's, it's you know, blatant. Like the, the abuse of racism really is just me saying I'm better than you. My race, where I come from, and people that come from there, we're better than where you, people that come from where you come from. Okay, so that's just an example. But also, if we think 
that we're better than people, we can then uh, find ourselves wanting to use them to advance our causes. Okay, so when we belittle others, we begin to see them as, as, as stepping stones. We perceive them as people to be put down in order to elevate us, and so on and so forth. So there's this side of pride, which is ugly and arrogant. It, it leads to un- ingratitude or ungratefulness. And I think part of this is, is when we think more of ourselves than we ought, and we think we're better than other people, we begin to develop a sense of entitlement. And to me, one of the sad things about the Olympics that just went by was... Yeah, it would have been nice if Australia got a few gold medals, but I think what it exposed was interesting. These people, who, who, these, our Australian athletes, bless them, who didn't get a gold medal and were devastated at the fact they didn't get a gold medal, were disappointing, were whinging, complaining about the fact they had a silver medal. And I'm thinking, like, this is, this is just the height of arrogance. It is like the fact you are Australian entitles you to a gold medal. Sorry, the rest of the guys didn't get the memo. You know, like, what is it about us that thinks that we deserve a gold medal or you deserve, you know, but I've worked so hard. My coach has given himself wholeheartedly to me getting this medal. I'm not... (laughs) I'm not copying any person in particular there. Okay. (laughs) There was lots of them, all right? But I do remember one particular person. And, And so I'm thinking, yeah, plenty of other... Every other athlete there worked their butts off to get there. Every other athlete there had coaches and family members and supporters who were just, you know, just wanting the best for them and gave their lives and made tremendous sacrifices. And to think just that, you know, that to be disappointed. I mean, I think so. it would be a privilege just to get to the Olympics, I think. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's, that's another problem. We, we, if we're proud, we become less thankful. The other thing about pride is that it corrupts good deeds and attitudes. You think about generosity. Generosity is a good thing. But you put generosity in the hands of a prideful person and it becomes a statement. It doesn't become about the person being helped. It becomes about, look at me. Aren't I good? And Jesus had to address the phrase, don't do your acts of righteousness in front of everyone. If you're going to give, if you're going to be a blessed, do these things quietly. Don't make a song and dance about it. Because again... Pride corrupts even good activities. And ultimately, the thing about pride, and some, one of the reasons that God hates pride, is that it ends in humiliation. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, simply says that pride goes, bef- uh, sorry, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The reason that pride ends in humiliation, I mean, obviously, you know, we could say, well, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. All right, and exalts the humble. So we can just say, well, God's opposing. But it's more than that. I think the reason that proud people ultimately fall down is because of this overinflated opinion of themselves. They tend to overestimate their abilities and then they promote themselves beyond their capabilities. And again, we see this all the time. You know, many of us, I'm sure, would watch things like The Voice and X Factor and all those sort of things. And again, it's kind of. You know, you see people and they're devastated when they don't get chosen or when they have someone say a few harsh things about them. And you think, I wonder what they were like in their school. When, you know, they're up there being humiliated to some degree. But you think, I wonder what's preceded this moment. I wonder if they've been on the other side of humiliating others before they got there. I wonder if they've been arrogant or I wonder if they've been gracious with the gift that they had. Because generally there's some sort of gift to get them to that sort of level. And so if we're proud, we don't take on board 
people's advice and we, we, we tend to just step in where angels fear to tread and ultimately it leads to our downfall. In fact, I guess the greatest example of pride leading to someone's downfall of all is, is Satan himself. Ezekiel chapter 28 talks about the fall of Satan from grace because he became puffed up with his own importance and he thought, I reckon I could do a better job of this thing than God could. And so he was kicked out and many of the problems that we experience on earth today, he is at the origin of in some way, shape or form. Alright, so that's, that's pride in a nutshell. That's some of the issues pertaining to pride. But we're not here really to talk about pride so much as have a look at, I guess, the other side of pride. We want to identify pride for sure, but we're not going to live there. We want to look at something better than pride. Okay, we don't want the absence of boasting to be our signature as Christians or the absence of putting people down to be our signature. What is, there, what is it that, we can, that can promote life? What is it that can build others? What is it that can make a better society? Well, God's way, God's yes, is humility. His no is pride. His yes is humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time he may lift you up. You know, humility is one of those things that's often misunderstood. You know, people um, confuse humility. They confuse it with weakness. They confuse it with fear. They confuse it with things like lack of ambition or lack of leadership or something like that. When it's none of those things at all. Humility is simply being meek, and meekness is about just being gentle in nature. Not weak, but gentle. Jesus was meek and mild, but he wasn't weak. At any time, he could have taken on and taken out any person that came against him while he walked on this planet. He could have done it personally, or he could have done it by exercising his authority and calling upon either his disciples or others to to get in on his behalf. But he chose to harness his strength. He chose to harness his authority because he was meek. He was gentle in nature. He was without pride. Having a low estimate of one's importance. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You get that? Think of yourselves with sober judgment. Not more highly than you ought. But not more lowly than you ought either. We're not called to think less of ourselves. That's not being humble. That's that's having low self-esteem. That's just having a lack of revelation on who God has called us to be. But we are called to start with a biblical view of humanity. We are called to understand something of the special place in creation that we hold. We are called to understand something of the heart and intent behind which God, with which God created us. The fact that he's called us to be his kids. And so once you begin to let that sort of filter in and percolate a little bit, you, you begin to stand with a little bit more assurance and a little bit more sense of purpose. And this life can seem a little bit sweeter. And so the challenging thing, I think, for us as, as people here today is to I guess make an accurate assessment, not just of ourselves, but also of others in the light of Scripture. And not to elevate ourselves above others, because whatever value we might attain to, whatever value we might have, is the exact same value that someone else has. And so we need to kind of hold this tension, have a healthy understanding of our value, 
and then allow that to work into our life and the lives of those around about us. And so how then do we work, or sorry, live in the power of this yes? Because that's the important thing. I mean, having a definition of pride, that's, that's helpful, hopefully. Having a definition of humility, that's helpful as well, hopefully. But like I said, it's how these things are worked out in our lives. Because the moment we say pride, as Christians, I think we, we know pride is bad. And so we assume that it does, it's not resonant in our lives. And often, you know, we, we think of extreme examples of pride. When we think about you know, a proud person, we go to the extreme and we think, well, I'm not like that. So what does pride look like in our lives? And what does humility look like when it's outworked? Because like I said, God just doesn't want us living in the orbit of his no. He ultimately wants us to explore the richness of his yes and to be a blessing. Again, thank God Jesus didn't come in the orbit of a no, but he came with so much more. So a few things that humility does, or a humble person does. A humble person, first and foremost, promotes others. A humble person promotes others. It freely acknowledges the work of others. It's freely, or he or she freely praises others, gives credit where it's due. And again, if I could use, again, an example from the Olympics, one person who really impressed me, and it could be an act, but it seems sincere, was Anna Mears. She was so gracious. When speak, you know, they were trying to bait her and get, you know, there was this whole rivalry thing that the paper was trying to beat up about her and Vicky Pendleton and all that sort of stuff. But she was just so gracious in, in, in victory and in defeat. And she just made the point that you know, she was thankful to be there. Everyone's done an awesome job. I thank God, you know, I didn't say thank God, but she said <clears throat> she was thankful for what she'd achieved. But she honoured the parents, she honoured the coaches, she honoured just the supporters of every athlete was there. And every athlete, she just, she just made that broad sweeping statement. So she was bringing everyone in together as opposed to elevating herself above others. And I think there's something precious about that. I think that, that's, that attitude is befitting of a Christian, certainly. Even to those that are competitors. I don't know about you, but you know, it's scary when, you know, how does this thing play out? Well, that's, that's one example. But it happens in every sphere of life. You know, rather than honouring, we get into competition. You know, think about tradespeople. Rather than just honour someone for the good work they've done, we want to look back and be critical of what they've done. We get guys together and, you know, people do things different ways. The end result might be the same, but people do things different ways. And so there can be criticism and judgement over that, rather than just honouring one another for what they've done. Think about the medical profession. This is one of my, my, my hobby horses. I think, you know, if you're like me, you've probably been to a chiro and a physio at different times in your life. Maybe you've been to a, a GP, you've probably been to a surgeon. Been to... And wouldn't it be awesome if there wasn't all this professional pride about that says, you know, we are the physio profession. We're physiotherapists and we're better than chiropractors. And those surgeons, oh, look, they don't really know what they're doing. They just want to cut you up and sew you up and get their money. And, you know. But there's just this competition. There's not an honouring. Wouldn't it be great if, if you became, and your health became the focus of their attention? And they said, look, I can do this much. But what about if you went and got this treatment that's, that's complementary as well? And I know this really awesome um, person who, I'm a physio, they're a chiro, they do a great job as well. And I reckon together we could get you up and going again. As opposed to you know, undermining and, and, and 
having, having snipes at each other. That sort of, again, it's just human nature, isn't it? But how does that apply in our lives? Are we gracious? Are we free with compliments? Are we free with praise? Or are we stingy? Pride says, look at me. Pride says, do it my way. Pride resents those who share the limelight. Pride resents those who do things differently than what we do. So again, it's pretty practical, isn't it? Do you resent? If people, you know, maybe you're good at what you do, but if someone else comes alongside and people begin to say how good they are at what they do compared to, what's our reaction? Because these things can be an indicator of something in our life that's not healthy. The benefit of humility and promoting others is simply this, a good reputation. You know, the blessings that God calls us to, the attitudes that God calls us to, they have their own little rewards attached. If you are a person who is free with praise, if you are a person who is perceived not to have a hidden agenda that always involves you, well then you're going to have a good reputation. You're going to become a person who is trustworthy. You're going to be a, people, a person who people go to for help and for assistance and all that sort of stuff. And again, I think that is part of this, this life-giving thing that we're called to as opposed to these deadly sins. The second thing, not just promoting others, but preferring others. Preferring others. You know, many, many times, you know, we're, called to, we're called to prefer others. We're called to do away with the, the need to push in, to push ourselves forward, to climb over others. As Christians, surely if anyone can be confident in God's ability to provide, if anyone can be confident in God's ability to promote, it should be us. So I don't need to pull someone down in order to get ahead. I don't need to climb over other people. I don't need to push into lines. I can, I can trust that God can provide for me. God can promote me. I don't need to... Um, uh, sorry, understanding people's value. It means that we can serve others. Preferring others is to serve others. And Jesus said himself, you know, I didn't come... To be served, but to serve. You know the disciples, Matthew 23, I think it is, arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus said, well, the greatest is actually like this little child. Why a little child? Because little children, they have a low view of themselves, and they look up to everybody. They respect everybody. Well, when they're little, not when they get to that age. But, you know, they, just, they just kind of assume that everyone knows everything. You know, if you're an adult, you're, you, you know everything. You can do anything. You're strong. You're this... And, you know, there's a reliance with humility. And that's what God's calling us to. The proud, on the other hand, are just hell-bent on living at the expense of others. They see people as, like I said, their little stepping stones, their servants, their whatever, they're just there to support them. Are we living like that? The benefits of preferring others... Ultimately, we put ourselves smack bang in the place where God says he will exalt us. Because God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. So again, you know, at work, you might want a promotion, you might need a bit more money. The way to do it isn't to undermine people. It isn't to gossip about them. It isn't go and talk about the boss. It isn't to plant things, set them up. 
It's to just be faithful in doing good. It's to give credit where credit's due. It's to honor people. It's to help out. And God will see you promoted. God will see you elevated. And on the other hand, those that are proud, those that are arrogant, God's going to see that they come a cropper. Thirdly, the benefit of hum- or humility, the third thing humility does, is to seek and receive advice. This is, a mass- this is a massive one. I mean, who of us, if we're out in public, wouldn't appreciate someone coming up to us and saying, excuse me, mate, it flies down. <laughs> or there's a bit of spinach, sort of right. Well, it looks like spinach. It could be anything, but it looks, you know. Now, it's embarrassment for a moment as you kind of sort yourself out. But far better that than get home at the end of the day, you've done all your, whatever you do, you might be, you know, have done a presentation at school or whatever if you're a teacher and been teaching kids. And get home and on Facebook, like there are a hundred photos and comments and liking, you know, and it's a picture of you with your fly down or it's you with this big green thing in your teeth or whatever. You know, like, so... We recognise the benefit of being told something there, don't we? But how come, in some of the things that are actually more significant in life, we reject advice? Humility actually appreciates the people that are trying to help us. You know, when someone recognises that we are doing things in our life that are potentially damaging to our marriage, potentially damaging to our job security, that are potentially damaging to our children in the way that we're parenting, that just aren't representing Jesus well. We've got a friend who sees us doing these things and they sidle up alongside and in a gracious, loving, or perhaps not so, but doing the best they can, come alongside and have that awkward conversation about some of the things they've noticed in our lives. Humility says, man, really? I hadn't noticed that. I appreciate your friendship. I know it wasn't easy. And, and that sort of conversation takes place. It might sting a little bit initially. And it might take a little bit of time to work out what it, what's really going on and how to, what adjustments do I need to make. But at the end of the day, a person who is humble, who has a, a, a modest opinion of themselves, recognises, yeah, I don't see all and know all. I need to be open to the fact that these people have got something good to say into my life. That's the opposite of the person who is arrogant. You see, pride takes offence when people try and suggest that we haven't got it all together. People try and make us aware of our blind spots and it's like, how dare you? You! Benno, you! I mean, after where you've come from and all the stuff you've... You! Try and tell me! Really? Thanks, buddy! (laughs) And just like, that's... Maybe I'm overstating it. Maybe you don't do that. But you know what I'm saying? The attitude that says, you, try and talk to me. Man, come on. Do you know who you're talking to? I mean, really? I mean, really? You think I'm actually capable of that? (sighs) Must be talking to the wrong group. (laughs) Never happened, would it? You know that the moment we think that we are not capable of something is probably the most the moment we are closest to actually doing it. Because when we recognise that we are as capable of sin as anyone else, we walk carefully. And we keep 
in place those things that keep us safe. But the moment we think I'm above, I'm above this or I'm above that, we let our guard down and we become susceptible. So let's not be standoffish. Let's not attack and offend and gossip about and slander those people that are coming to us and actually are our best friends. Even if the things they say hurt a little bit, let's not be proud and arrogant and that they would dare suggest that there's anything that's going on in our life that is not godly and altogether good. But let's be humble and receive it. We can weigh it up. We can ask others. But most importantly, we go back to the Word of God and see how it matches up with that. So the benefits of humility in this case are just personal growth. If we've got people talking into our lives, we're going to continue to grow. If we just shut out all advice, we're going to stop growth. We're going to be stunted right there and then. And ultimately, it's for our protection. Like I said, a bit of green teeth, flying low, that doesn't, that's no big deal. But you mess up a marriage, you mess up your kids, you lose your job because you're unteachable, you're, people can't talk to you like that. that that's deadly. That's dangerous. God wants to protect us from that. That's why there's a no. And fourthly and finally, humility pardons others. It pardons others. Again, the humble have no illusions about themselves. We know what we've done, if we're honest. And we know if we take any time to think about what we're capable of. And we don't stand in judgment of murderers and homosexuals and this and that and everything else that goes on and those that are perceived to be sinners in our society. We don't stand in judgment because we realize that there but for the grace of God go I. We recognize that people are a product. Yes, it's partly genetic. It's also a lot to the environment and all that sort of stuff. And us, given those situations, given some of those circumstances, that could be us. We recognize and are thankful for what Jesus has done on our behalf. That outside of his saving work, we are condemned. We are not friends with God. We are enemies with God. And so that appreciation, that revelation, that understanding means that we should be able to, if we are walking in humility, freely forgive. And I think for the humble, they do. The proud, on the other hand, are experts in self-justification. Like I said, they think, we think, times, that we're incapable of doing this or we're incapable of doing that. And the problem is it not only leads to us blaming others, you know, because again, if we self-justify, who do we blame? Well, we've got to blame others. And so again, if, if my marriage is struggling, can't possibly be my fault because I'm all good in this situation. It's got to be Sally Ann's fault. And so all the blame starts to get meted out to her. And if we're doing that, what follows is harsh judgment. Because again, we, I could never do that. How could you do that? I would never do that. How could you do that? And we, we're looking down on people. We're getting critical and judgmental on them. That's unforgivable. Have you ever said that? Have, you, have, have we ever said anything is unforgivable? There's nothing, as far as you or I are concerned, that if we understand the grace of God, if we understand what we're capable of, and if we understand and think about what we've done, nothing to us should be unforgivable. Whatever people do to us, it's forgivable. 
Matthew 6, Jesus talking about the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us, Father, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. When you've got that revelation, how dare we not forgive others? The benefits of living in humility, in this case, if we're able to pardon others, is obviously reconciliation that flows. Rather than living in this ever-shrinking world of people, we're able to maintain and build relationally. We see reconciliation, we see restitution, we see all the good things that come there. We have, a, we have future forgiveness from God, certainly. But also, if we forgive freely, we're far more likely to be forgiven. I mean, how can I, if I want my marriage to be successful, withhold forgiveness? Because whatever Sally Ann may need one day, I'm going to need the next. Again, I hope, just in sharing these things, that it's not like a no-focused message. I hope that, you know, if we're recognising things in our lives, that right now even, there's a, a sober judgement. Yep, that's me. But the key now isn't to focus on that thing. And as Tone said this morning, pray, Lord, help me not boast, help me not boast, help me not boast, help me not boast. You know, because the thing you'll do then is boast. But Lord, help me to understand the way that you see people. I think there's a powerful prayer is, Lord, help me to see people through the eyes that you see them. Help me to see and love people the way that you love them. And if we do that, I think it's easy to become less judgmental. I think it's easy to give credit where credit's due. I think it's easy to forgive people who sin against us. It's just about perspective. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.